So as Jono mentioned, my text this morning is from Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, from verse 7 to 11. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Right. So this is our text for the day. As Jono has mentioned that it talks about the glory of the new covenant, how, more, how much more glorious it is than the old covenant. So I think it'll be good for us to have a little bit of a background why Paul is writing this in the first place. So Corinth, it was located in that narrow strip of land which connected the main Greek part to region of Achaia. It's called Peloponnesian Peninsula. So it was the crossroads to the traffic on the agency on one side and the Mediterranean Sea on the other side. It was a kind of a metropolis of its day. There was pagan worship, which was well integrated, whether it was a civic affair, whether it was a trade guild, everybody had their deities and their worship, emperor's cult that would be operating in Corinth as well. And if you're part of a social club, probably you have a deity there as well. It was the most influential city in the region of Achaia or that peninsula. And it was not uncommon that the traveling speakers, the itinerants, they will come, they will bring their letters of credentials and they will show I'm such and such. And they will offer an entertaining rhetoric night and you can buy a ticket and come in. A lot of the times topic will cover how to I don't know, grow in the social ladder. So it's not very different than the social seminars that some of us might attend seven ways to. So Paul, he arrived in the city of Corinth about 50 AD. So he met a Jew named Ecla, his wife Priscilla, who have been kicked out of Rome because Emperor Claudius has kicked out all the Jews out of there. And there we learn in the book of Acts that uh, in chapter 18, he tried to persuade Jews. He tried to persuade Greeks as his way was. He will go to the synagogues, but Jews became unnerved. However, the ruler of the synagogue, his name was Crispus, very crisp guy. He was crisp in his thinking. So he got the point of what Paul was saying. He believed there were hostilities, so he couldn't go to the synagogue anymore. But there was the house next to the synagogue where he lodged. And it says that he had a vision from God to stay here. And he stayed there for about 18 months. So that's probably a very long time. He didn't stay at most places for that long. So he strengthened the church. And once the church has been established, he goes back to his sending church for a brief visit in Antioch. And his friend Priscilla and Nicola, they go with him, but they stay in Ephesus, which is on this side of the agency. 
So he pays a visit to his church. He comes back. And as many times happen, if you planted church, uh, wolves, they will come. And he heard the bad news. There were issues. So he wrote a letter to them. And uh, then some people came from the church in Corinth about 54 AD. It says people from the Chloe's household, they came. And later Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaius, they visit him. And they bring him a letter from Corinth, probably from Chloe or whoever the influential leaders there, and says they have a problem. So he writes to them, First Corinthians, and send it to probably through those one of those guys who have come there. Next year, he received further news from Timothy that problems are still there in Corinth. So he decided to go and pay a visit. So if you're a founding pastor, you can imagine Andrew had started Christ Sanctuary. He has gone back to Malaysia. He has come back uh, because he has heard there are troubles going on in his church. He has written on previous occasion, but nothing good has transpired. So obviously, he's the founding pastor. People will listen to him. He would have authority. Nope. Paul was ridiculed. He was heartbroken. So he came back. So he says that he wrote a letter which was an angry letter or a severe letter because the things that he's seen, what he has gone through. And he mentions in few times in the book of Second Corinthians, said that I made a painful visit to you. I wrote to you in such a way which uh, probably grieved you as well. That wasn't my purpose. But there were problems in that church. That's why he had to write it. And he's based in Ephesus at this time. So he started evangelizing further up in the mainland of the Greece. It says that he wanted to go to Troas, but he had a vision from God that he needed to go to Macedonia. Remember, a man from Macedonia was pleading him to come and bring the gospel, and he did. And there Titus meets him, Titus of Timothy. And he said, oh, good things are happening, actually. You wrote that letter, and revival has broken out. So most of the people in Corinth, they have repented, but they still have some problems. There is a small minority which continue to rebel. And to that effect, Paul writes another letter, which is Second Corinthians to us. Okay, Timothy, take this letter, Titus, take this letter before I arrive. And so there are three purposes, basically, of this letter. First, I want to strengthen the church, those who are the faithful, and also to clear them out on the teaching about the gospel. And second was to complete the collection. Remember, he said, when I come back, I want you to be willing givers. I've been boasting about you guys are so good in your faith in the whole region here. So this was for the church who was under famine in Jerusalem. And then to offer the rebellious minority one more chance to repent. Because towards the end, he said, this time I'll come back. I'll see to it. Those guys who have been rebelling. So who are these guys who are rebelling? Who are these guys? What is this kind of teaching? So Paul, Paul's opponents, they primarily see, seem to be Jewish background believers here. And I get it from a reading of his defense that he gives in 2 Corinthians 11, 18 to 23. He says that since many boast according to flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or take advantages of you or put on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. And then he says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I also dare to boast. I'm talking like a madman here. And he said, are the Hebrews? 
So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. And then he goes on about the sufferings that he had, which none of these boys had. If you think of these guys, it is something specific to Corinth, it isn't. Because if you read the letter to Galatians, similar problem is being dealt with. Romans also deals with it. If you read book of Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews, probably one of the best commentaries on this text that you are reading, how Christ has overcome, that this is done the Hebrew way. But these, so what were these guys teaching? So Bible uses the term Judaizers for them elsewhere. So they were teaching, they're basically the Jewish background believers. They believed that, uh, yes, Jesus gives you salvation, but now that you have this, you need to come to the Mosaic law. You know, everything that we are doing, you need to be circumcised. On the eighth day, you need to eat kosher food. You don't touch certain things. You worship in a certain way. You don't mingle with certain people. You fast so many days a week. So basically, remember Jesus told the Pharisees, vote to you Pharisees and you scribes. You will travel on the land. You will travel on the sea to win one convert, to proselytize one person. And once he's proselytized, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. So this is what is going on. And of course, the false religion, it has an appearance of what is good, but not necessarily the substance and the content. So if you know of the Mosaic law, it had a moral law in the Ten Commandments. It had the civic laws, how the country of Israel need to deal, uh, how the people need to deal with each other, how the rulers need to deal. Uh, there were ceremonial laws about keeping them clean, uh, certain ways of doing things. Moral law was very difficult for people to keep. But ceremonial laws, they were a little bit easy. What you are eating... Uh, remember that guy, he was praying to God, the Pharisee, thank you, Lord, I'm not like this tax collector, the sinner. I pray so many times a day. I fast twice a week. I give 10% of everything that I make in my tithes. Because it was difficult for them to feel good just with the moral law, because every time it would show them, Shh, you're not matching up, dude. This is easy, actually. <laughs> Uh, Tim Keller calls it performance. So you start to perform. I'll do this, then I'm acceptable. You're missing the point. But that's what they did. And these boys are here now. These guys who have become Christians, who have got this great freedom in Christ, who have been bought by the Lamb of God, these guys are teaching them these particular things. And Paul, <coughs> he tells them, dude, <laughs> I probably didn't say dude. Uh, that's my paraphrase version. Why are you going back to this? I want to tell you of something which is much better. What you have received, new covenant, new covenant, it's far more glorious than anything that the old covenant had and what it has achieved. So notice at this point, Paul is not saying that old covenant is evil. It is from the devil. Don't read those books, don't read, don't read Pentateuch or don't read the prophets. He's not saying that. He's saying in our passage that uh, it is holy. 
old covenant is holy but it was there for a particular period of time it has achieved what it was there to achieve all its purposes it has been fulfilled and something which is more permanent more glorious is here now so if something which has achieved what it was there for why are you going to it so be focused towards what is coming don't go back because it's not adding anything so how is the new covenant glorious than the old covenant so there are four points that i have that i want you to take from here first of all the new covenant is more glorious in the way it was revealed in its revelation in how it is mediated second it was more glorious than old covenant in terms of its purpose what it came for thirdly it's more glorious in what is achieved compared to the old and finally it's more glorious because it is not temporary not transient but it is permanent so there is no newer covenant coming or the no newer testament to be added to your bibles from here on so first of all so glory of the revelation of the new covenant so it says here that now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the israelites could not gaze at moses face because of its glory which was being brought to an end so the incident that is referred to here is what took place in the book of exodus in chapter 34 verses 29 to 25 let me read to you so when moses came down from mount sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with god Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him but Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them afterwards all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all the Lord had spoken with him in mount Sinai and when Moses had finished speaking speaking with them he put a veil over his face And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him he would remove the veil until he came out and when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded the people of Israel would see the face of Moses and the skin of Moses's face was shining and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with them it must have been a glorious scene commandment have been given so much has transpired on that mountain and your leader your pastor he comes down and his face is shining bright it has turned into a light bulb you you will freak out so that's what happened to the israelites they could not look at it because it was very bright moses did not realize because he was reflecting the glory of god it was on his face it was beaming just like the moon reflects the glory of the sun or the light of the sun he was reflecting and it was glorious but moses had to put a veil i say okay for this period of time i'm speaking on behalf of god <laughs> now i am myself so every time he go back to god got the shine back he could speak with that glory with that authority because what god has commanded him but normal discourse he couldn't 
So what's the parallel passage in New Testament? In Hebrews, it says the sun is the radiance of the glory of God. And if you remember, something similar happened on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus took three, Peter, James, and John with him. And let me read. And he transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. He could not use his clothes as a veil to cover what was his glory. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came from cloud. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one, but Jesus only. So first of all, Jesus does not reflect glory of God. In fact, he is the very glory of God. Moses had to hide it. And Jesus, just on one mere occasion, behold his flesh, I guess, he stopped it and he let it shine. Okay, you want to see? How bright the God is. Let me show you the glory of God. And what happened to the boys? Something similar, I guess, when, which is happening in our passage. On that time, God also brought down Moses, the guy who gave the law, stood for the Mosaic covenant, and the prophets, their representative, Elijah. What were the prophets' prophets' role in Israel? They were calling people back to the covenant that they are breaking, falling short, repent. Turn to God that he may forgive your sins. And Peter at that point must have been. So he was that uh, speak before you think kind of guy. A little bit like me when I was maybe 10 years ago. So I'm more tempered now. Uh, and he says, God, Lord, it is very good. Let me build three houses, one for you each. He was still speaking when God came down as a light cloud. This is my son. Listen to him. With him, I'm well pleased. And what happened next moment? They could only see Jesus. Other two disappeared. So even at that point, God is trying to make a point that uh, the one who revealed, sure, you are still mesmerized by what went on on that mountain. Forget it. Somebody a lot more greater than that is here amongst you. What is a lot more glorious? So in the way, the one who reveals, the one who mediates this covenant is far more glorious. So Jesus is far more glorious in Moses than Moses. Moses, a mere reflector, and Jesus, the radiance of God himself. Now, secondly, the new covenant is far more glorious in its purpose. So if you read the passage, it says in verse 9, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. So Mosaic law, what was the purpose of it? Okay, not just Mosaic law, any law. What's the purpose of a law? So the moment you see a hundred sign, it is there to tell you that's your limit. Don't cross it. If you cross it, 
and the police catches you, that sign condemns you. Say, yep, you were told you're not supposed to do it. Okay, law is not an exam that you sit in university that if you make it, you will pass, you will get your degree, and if you fail it, you can reset the test, which probably these Judaizers had made out the Mosaic Covenant to be. You perform, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, they'll be great, I'll be acceptable to God. And if I fail, then I'll feel dismayed. And I'll try better next time. That's what religion is. Most of the religion is. Most religious people are like that. If you've been reading your Bible every day, you have prayed every day, you feel really good that you're doing something. By the way, there are good things. You should be doing it. But if you haven't done it for two days, you feel dismayed. You say, oh, how can I even come to God because I have not been reading my Bible. I'm not witnessing to them. You're missing the point. You don't come to God that way. So point here is the law, the Mosaic law, the purpose for it was condemnation. It says it is the ministry of condemnation. And about the New Testament, the New Covenant, it says it's called the ministry of righteousness. However, the word righteousness not necessarily gives you the full force of what the original Hebrew means. The word in Hebrew is I might not be pronouncing it like a Hebrew person, uh, like a Greek person, because I'm not Greek. Dikaiosonis, and it stands directly opposite to the word katakrisios, which means condemnation. So like people like Barnes, uh, who has written this solid commentary, they would say it should be translated as uh, the ministry of justification. So you have a purpose of condemnation in one covenant? And there is one covenant that justifies you. Remember Paul in the book of the Romans where he says, yeah, the law is holy, law is perfect. But I saw this another law working in me because law exposes this thing within himself that he is not able to keep it. And he goes, is there any hope for me? I said, thank God that Christ Jesus has died for a sinner like me. Purpose was to condemn. Law's purpose was never to justify. It was telling you that you have broken the speed, you have to pay the fine, but the fine was so big that you could not pull it and give it. So it was maybe your license, your car impounded, or even you impounded forever, something like that. Okay, it could not pay your bail to save you from going to prison or paying. Now, thirdly, the new covenant is far more glorious in what it achieves. It had a purpose. Did it achieve it? So what is the purpose achieves? So old covenant here is called the ministry of death. In verse 7. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So Old Covenant is a ministry of death. It achieves death, guys. You who want to go back, I want to eat this, I want to be circumcised. I'll fast so many times a day to be righteous before God. That's not the purpose. The purpose of that very thing was to show you, you will die. 
So new covenant is called the ministry of spirit. And what does the verse 6 tells you? That the spirit gives life. What did Jesus say in the gospel of John? Spirit gives life. When you are born again, you receive the spirit of God. And you say anybody who is in Christ Jesus now is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new have come. You have begun a new life. Old covenant condemns you. But it lacks in giving the ransom for your sins. But where the old covenant stops, new covenant starts. Yes, you are condemned, but there is a provision. There is the mercy of God, which he has given to you. I understood this. When I became a Christian in 2004, I understood this. Why I'm going to God. But you know, sometimes when you're reading the scriptures, things jump at you for the first time. So this is what jumped at me. So maybe you have seen it before, but I had never seen this before, which made me very scared. For two days, I was in awe of God. Wow, it was really the ministry of death. I come from a Hindu background, so ministry of justification, it didn't sound that great deal. It was always redemption. I felt redeemed. Even though they are related, but you go figure. I have only this big mind. So at that time, I was so glad, you know, I can know God. I've been reconciled. I've been reconciled to God. I always wanted God, but my other gods, they could not do it. But when I was reading, <laughs> preparing for this sermon, I saw something for the first time. I want to take you back to the book of Exodus. Okay, here is a brief overview. Show first half of the book. God doing all kinds of miracles through Moses. Moses is called and they bring the Israelites out. And now they are camped in front of the Mount Sinai. Exodus 19, it's the setting of the covenant. God is about to give the covenant. He's telling them, okay, get ready. I'm going to come down and meet. Exodus 20, which is the Ten Commandments, everybody knows. Till about end of chapter 23, God is giving the words of the covenant. And what happens in 24? Moses writes them all down. He comes down on the mountain, from the mountain, and the covenant is confirmed. Jonah mentioned in the New Testament, in the Bible, when it says covenant, it is a blood oath. So what happened there? Animals were slaughtered. Part of the blood was sprinkled on the book, was sprinkled on the altar. Rest of the blood sprinkled on the people. Blood in the basin was poured upon the people. If you fail to do this, this should happen to you. And if I fail to keep my part, this shall happen to me. Then Moses goes up. Everybody is ecstatic. Wow, we are this chosen people. And now we're going to worship God, the one who has brought us out of Egypt, the land of slavery. What happens next? God is giving Moses the imprint of the things that are up there, the holy things, the spirit things. This is how the tabernacle should be where you should worship me. And what did the people do? They made a golden calf. And God has just finished giving these tablets written by his own finger. He said, go down. I'm just upset with this people. What's going on? What did Moses do when he comes down? He smashes those two tablets. Probably he was an angry man as well. But probably you'll be angry too if you saw certain thing of that nature. But let me read to you what's happening in the verse 25. He's talking to the people. So that's the first sermon that he's giving 
after the covenant has been confirmed. And he says, and when Moses saw the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, so I'm reading from Exodus 30 to 25 to 35. Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered round him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day, 3,000 men of the people fell. I read 3,000 men and I quivered. Because I could not stop thinking about the first sermon that Peter preached after coming of the Holy Spirit. And it says, he told them that you have sinned. You crucified the Messiah, repent. And 3,000 of them on that day received baptism. They received the Holy Spirit. They got new life. It did not stop there for these boys. It says Moses goes up back on the mountain and he tries to atone for their sins. God sends a plague upon them to kill many of those who have survived. What does it say in Acts? At the end of chapter 2, it says, And more were added to their numbers every day of those who were being saved. Ministry of death. Ministry of spirit, which gives life. Paul is saying, seriously? That's how it started. And that's how it finishes. This thing, it starts with life. It finishes with life. What's the last point? New covenant is more, more glorious in its endurance. Old covenant was temporary. It wasn't permanent. Old covenant has limited time where it was to point to Christ. It was there to make people conscious of sin. Romans 3.20 It could not justify. It was there to make people conscious of sin. It had a purpose till the gospel came. And it served it. It served it really well. Law made people conscious of sin. They knew the need to repent. So there was a guy, the publicans, they were thinking, no, I'll perform, I'll get my righteousness. And there were guys, like the tax collectors, Lord. It says that guy, he could not even raise his eyes up to the heavens. He's looking down, he said, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. So if the law leads you to ask mercy, then the new covenant gives you all the justification that you need to be declared righteous in front of the holy God that you were singing about. Come to the holy God. That's how you come to the holy God. Moses, his face radiated the glory of God. It was temporary. Jesus, he was holding it while he was on the earth. But it says he is ready to come back again to, and he has his recompense. On his right hand. This time he comes to judge the living and the dead. Jonah mentioned he's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. There is no more covenants coming. If you read the book of Revelation, what's happening there? God is being worshipped. They want to open the scroll, they can't. Who opens the scroll? Christ. A new song is sung. 
Glory is given to him. Honor is given to him. Power is given to him. Praise is given to him. Who are the people who are singing praises of God? Those who have washed their clothes in the blood of the Lamb. What's happening at the end of the book of Revelation? There is a new heaven. There is a new earth. And who's there, by the way? The bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. It is full and final. I want you to know that. There is no more new covenants coming. Jesus is the alpha point. He's the starting point. He is the finishing point. He's the author and the perfecter of faith. By faith in Christ, you are justified. Not by anything else. Not by keeping. Not by performance. That's what the religious people, to feel smug, to feel proud. Like that Pharisee. And he was condemned. Law will condemn. Don't go that way. tell you again new covenant is much more glorious because the guy who mediates it far more glorious than the guy who mediated the old covenant Moses versus Jesus not saying he was not glorious there was glory I have this okay Samsung Galaxy S8 lot of you have other smartphones lot of you have uh, iPhones so how many of you after buying this also goes and buys a brick I'm talking about that Nokia phone or the Simmons who came and carry them in your pocket. Glorious has come. So it's glory is no glory at all. You don't want to even look at it. It had a purpose. <laughs> it fulfilled its purpose. Something more glorious has come. Okay. The purpose of Old Covenant was to tell you that you're going to die and it killed a lot of people. And those who like to gain their righteousness by doing those things, they are killed even today. It achieved only death and condemnation. And new covenant, it achieves justification for you, makes you righteous in front of God, gives you life. And it is permanent. You cannot break it. It is enacted out on the better promises. Because when the covenant was forged, there was no animal slaughtered. Christ, his blood, once for all, paid it finished forever, entered into the holiest places. Now you and I, we can come boldly before the throne of Christ, knowing that Christ, our high priest, is there. So be bold when you come to God, not on the basis of your performance, but on the basis of what Christ has achieved, on the basis of the new covenant. It's far more glorious. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you are the mediator of the new covenant. I want to thank you that your blood speaks a far better word than any other word. Thousands of animals killed every year, killed for centuries. It only was there to show us that this is how we are. We are guilty. There's death all around. If we don't get mercy from you, I want to thank you that in you we have a hope. In your resurrection we have a hope. On the cross in your resurrection you have defeated the sin. You have defeated death itself. And you give us life. You are the life giver. Spirit of God I pray that. Give the life even more richly. For this is eternal life to know Jesus Christ. To know God and know Jesus Christ whom he has sent. 
want to thank you. I pray that all of us be merry in this eternal life. We know this eternal life. We know Christ whom you have sent richly with each passing day. Spirit of God, illumine us as we read your word. Help us not to be performers, but to glory in Christ. Everything else is filth. I want to thank you and I want to bless your name. I pray that you keep us. In Jesus' most holy name I'll pray. Amen. I'll ask the music team to come up and help us sing of this holy God again. <laughs>